And then she walked up to me and said, God told me to give this to you. A couple weeks later, I just was interested in what I told her to give to me. You know, was it a Metallica CD? <laughs> and so I played this CD. It began a 45-minute encounter with the tangible presence mm. of God. The only way I could describe it was the physical love of God started to overtake my body. Basically, a call to follow Jesus plays at the end of the CD. Heat starts to course through my body. Like, I feel heat from the top of my head through, throughout my fingertips. I'm starting to shake as the presence of God is filling me and it's it's overcoming me. And I just start weeping. He just begins to speak to me about my life. At the end of this encounter, he says, Becky, if you follow me, I will do more with your life than you ever thought possible. I said, okay. I feel addiction leave my body. I feel self-hatred leave my body. And I look in the mirror. And for the first time since I can remember, I'm used to looking in the mirror and hating who I saw. And I'm looking in the mirror and I'm like, I love this person. Just because I don't believe or agree doesn't mean I can't learn from you. Why did you have to bring that up? Okay, that one I'm super embarrassed about. <laughs> Do you like me? Do I like you? Yeah. As, a, as an individual or as yeah, a podcast? Yeah, just as a person. No, well, I like you. Okay, cool. Yeah. cool. And I don't have any interest in appearing to be stronger than I am. I ain't bowed to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. He gonna leave. You feel me? How do we love people who see the world differently than we do? What would it look like if we truly loved all of our neighbors? Could listening to their stories be the first step? This is Seacoast Church, and there's way more to talk about. All right, well, we just keep bringing you more and more awesome women to you this year. Starting from the beginning of 2024, we've brought you four episodes, and we're four for four, featuring some awesome ladies. And this trend continues as next week we have another dynamic lady advocate for domestic abuse awareness and resourcing the afflicted. Then we have a former cast member of the iconic Little House on the Prairie TV series from the 70s and 80s. But today it's Becky Johnson who was in town for the Chosen Conference last fall. So we tricked her into coming into the podcast studio for some further digging on Becky as a person, her story, her calling. And given her involvement in a school of supernatural ministry at this uh, little church in Redding, California called Bethel, we took this time to ponder and process some theological framework for healing, context being the Bible and the Jesus culture, see what I did there, that the Son of Man himself set out to author that kingdom still growing and spreading and is one that we all have hope will be a perfected kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So she's currently the executive pastor of Jesus Culture Sacramento, where she served as the youth pastor for seven years. She has a desire to see young people encounter the extreme love and power of God that changed her own life and a radical encounter she had as a teenager, the story you heard a good chunk of right at the beginning of the episode. She and her husband, Jesus Culture artist and worship pastor Derek Johnson, have three children and live in Northern California. But right now she's in the low country, Charleston, South Carolina, and we're happy to share her with you on this podcast. We have these episodes now on our Seacoast Church YouTube channel. You can watch these episodes as we recorded them in studio. Would love for you to check it out. Thanks so much for listening. Where are you originally from? You're not from? I'm from the Midwest. Yes. Northwest Indiana. Northwest Indiana. So my wife is from Iowa and her dad lived in Elkhart. Yeah. Is that close to where you grew up? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's it's funny cuz we would sit back on his back porch and I thought he was being like metaphorical and he was like, 
over there beyond those trees, that's Michigan. And I was like, wow, that's kind of poetic there. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, that's the state over there. <laughs> oh, my gosh. How's your travels and everything? It's pretty yeah. smooth. Yeah. Sacramento to Dulles, about four and a half hours. Now, here's the thing. You obviously love being a speaker because you're doing it. I mean, people all just do that if they don't like it. But do you love the travel part of it? I, some people hate it. Some people love it. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't love it. I don't know if it's because of the season I'm in with small kids that makes me miss them. It makes it harder to leave. Or if I just don't, I don't love travel in general. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my husband, he loves loves airplanes, loves hotels. He loves the whole thing. I'm like, oh, it's a, it's an assignment for sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How about you, Lynn? Do you like I do. As you were saying that, I like, I like being in an airport. I like, like, I I like the experience of traveling. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Tell us about Jesus culture. It's, it's, it's interesting because I've heard of Jesus culture, but I don't know really what it is. And I was thinking before talking to you, I was thinking kind of poetically, what if the body of Christ and the church was like known for Jesus culture? Yeah. Like just yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And that's what permeated. All, and mm-hmm. unfortunately, it's yeah. kind of not. Yeah. Case. That's where the name actually came from is kind of that concept of um, our, so our founder and, and lead pastor, Banning Liebscher, he was the youth pastor of a church called Bethel Church in Redding, California. A little church, you know. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah. He'd never heard of it. <laughs> Just hoping that the Lord breathes on the meter. Um, so he was the youth pastor there for 19 years um, under Bill Johnson. And he um, was going to put on a youth conference in 1999. I just thought, you know what? We just put on a, a youth event for all the local youth groups to come. We're hungry for God. And let's just kind of go after an encounter with, with the presence. And they needed to name the conference something. And he was walking at the mall and he saw a hat in yeah. the window. It said counterculture. And he thought, oh, isn't that interesting? But if we raised up a generation that was a Jesus culture? Yeah. And he brought the name back to the team. And they were like, we like that. Let's, let's call the conference Jesus culture. And so they had the conference and uh, it was awesome. God moved and, and they liked it so much that they did it again the next yeah. year. And then they did it again the next year. And a couple of years in, they thought, you know, um, something really significant is happening in the worship. And Kim Walker Smith was a 16-year-old in the youth group. Chris Kilala was the 14-year-old drummer. <laughs> and they were just crying out to God, having prayer meetings, being really stirred by a man named Lou Engel. He was holding these massive prayer gatherings, just thousands upon thousands. They were praying against abortion gathering on the Capitol. They had a, a movement called Life Tape where they would have these intercessors have red tape over their mouths to just as a, a signal of interceding for yeah, the unborn. And so they were getting inspired by what Lou was doing in the nation. And so um, so the youth group just kept having these conferences. Worship was really a powerful experience. And then they said, let's just hit record and let's record what God's doing. Mm-hmm. And so in 2005, they recorded their first album. So it's still the youth group at Bethel Church this Jesus culture thing that's happening. And they recorded an album and then just slowly over time, the music really started to spread, you know, in the era of, right. You remember burned CDs, you know, CDs. If you're listening to CD, it's a shiny, you know, object. My kids call when they see a CD in the rare occasion that they do, they say it's the radio. They're like, Oh, wow. Look at that radio. I don't know. Um, (laughs) So when I was in college and my latter years, 
there was like one guy that you're like, oh, I heard he burned CDs. Yeah. I wonder if he can do this for me. Yeah. You have to go to his house. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll do that for you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, what's the passcode, right. you know? <laughs> right. Oh, and it takes like five minutes for one um, to burn. Yeah, absolutely. And so the, so the music started to really get some attention nationally, really like people. And then people started to come to Bethel because they were hearing mm. the worship. It was in the early 2000s. They had been doing this gathering every year in Reading, this Jesus Culture Conference. Now they're recording the worship, and they felt the Lord say to take the first to take the conference for the first time outside of Reading. And so they did one in Atlanta, Georgia, and had about 300 come, and that was a big deal at the time. Yeah. And then it was just kind of slowly over time. All right, let's do one in this city, and, and churches started to invite. By each of the sculpture out. And so it just grew. The Lord really breathed on it and it just kind of became so then they were doing worship albums, Jesus Culture albums, which many are familiar with. In 2007, a video of Kay Walker Smith singing a song called How He Loves went viral. And it was, um, and that kind of really was the turning point for what Jesus Culture was doing. It kind of exploded on the scene. And is that John Marks? John Mark McCullins, okay. yeah, How He Loves, yep. Just kind of exploded onto the scene. She had actually spent a summer at Morningstar Ministry School. Uh, ministry School. Kim had met John Mark and, and some of the team there, and she came back and was just really impacted and sang that song. And it just it was this really incredible moment that that was captured on CD and DVD and, and just started to spread. And, and YouTube was now a thing, and so the video goes viral on YouTube. And all the while, Banning is still the the youth pastor at Bethel, and still you know it was the youth. There was a youth group, but then there was also this Jesus culture movement and it became conferences and then they started a podcast jesus culture podcast jesus culture conferences jesus culture worship and eventually the lord spoke to to the and team and said it's time for it to become a local expression and to be a church and so he approached bill johnson and chris valentin who were his you know oversight at bethel and was kind of shared the vision and that was in 2012. And Bill and Chris said absolutely we we see that and it's clear that Jesus Culture has its own DNA um, and its own expression of what God's doing and just sent and released us. And I was on staff at the time as the, I was a communications director. I had interned with Jesus Culture. I was the communications director at the time. So in 2013, about a group of 45 of us left Reading um, and we moved to Sacramento, the capital of California. Um, long kind of prophetic story there on why Sacramento, but we moved to Sacramento and we started uh, leading as teen church for a year. And then in 2014, September of 2014, we opened our doors to the first Jesus Culture Church, Jesus Culture Sacramento. And we just celebrated nine years in September. I was the youth pastor for eight years. And I, the last year and a half, I've been the executive pastor. Nice. Nice. We have uh, one other campus in San Diego, Jesus Culture San Diego, which launched in the middle of COVID in 2020. And it's thriving and doing really well. I That's incredible. Cool. Yeah. So it says pastor and speaker. Yeah. You you could put an organizer with yeah. if you're a communication director Absolutely. and a very organized person. <laughs> One hundred. You just don't put that stuff out there, you know. But yeah, that is not as alluring, I guess. <laughs> I, I'm really excited. I'm glad that you are uh, open just to kind of talk supernatural mm-hmm. and healing and all that. And I want to kind of give a little bit of my background and, you know, kind of where I'm at with everything and maybe use that as kind of a, a launching point. So I grew up in Pentecostal churches and I'd say one of the pivotal moments for me, it was in 2008 and my first cousin, who I'm very close to, her husband, 
It's awful. He he was on uh, he had some sort of a job where he accidentally breathed in uh, really fine metal particles. And it was basically a death sentence. They said, you know, in, in eight years, you'll have to be on a machine because there's just nothing they could do. It was so, you know, saturated. So my family, my extended family, very much so never budged on faith. It was God is going to heal. And I, I mean, so here's here's some images that I have being in the hospital, you know, finding out that he passed away and a pastor basically saying, no, you put me on the phone right now. And so they're they're literally and, you know, listeners, I'm not saying any of this and to, to denigrate faith or anything like that. Um, but I mean, he puts he says, put the phone to his ear. So basically to the dead body. And he's he's trying to speak life into him. And then my aunt, I'm out in the lobby. She gets off the elevator. I'm like, hey, Karen, I said, do you, you know, he, he passed away. Right. She's like, yeah, I came to raise him from the dead. I was like, all right. And so. Um, you know, probably an hour and a half later, you know, I go into the room and, you know, I see my first cousin who I grew up with, who I love mourning her husband. And then, uh, you know, two of our family members, they are still praying. I mean, they're still just, you know, commanding him to, you know, get out of that bed. So kind of to make a long story short with this one, it left uh, specifically one of my uncles with a pretty much shipwrecked faith. You know, it was just kind of like, this is what we believed and we never budged it. They, they really did. I mean, they really never budged. It was always, you know, when he's healed, not if he's healed. So for, for me, I, I think I took that in as, okay, all right, I, I see how all that played out. I don't like that that hurt people's faith. But I think at that point, I realized, all right, I think what makes me different from my family is I have very strong faith that God can do everything that he says that he can, and God can do all things. It seems like my family believed he will in this specific situation. So fast forward uh, to, gosh, it was probably like 2016. We had a guitarist. He was part of our youth ministry at the campus that I was pastoring at Seacoast. And he got in a motorcycle accident. Same sort of situation. Family didn't budge in faith. A small group. We were always in there. We were always praying. And uh Little things like this kind of put a bad taste in my mouth. There were two ladies out in the lobby and, you know, they're all oh, just dear, dear women and just constantly interceding. It was beautiful. Well, they got word that um, this guy's mom was starting to let go, basically say, Lord, you know, kind of like into your hands, you know, and uh, kind of reprimanded her and was like, don't you dare give up on your son. And, you know, for a morning mother, it was like, and they're not giving up on my son's. So that was probably, and, and here I am a pastor, that was the moment where I said, I give up any sort of pursuit of some sort of formulaic deal when it comes to healing. Throwing that out. I, I'm not saying that I don't believe in healing. I'm just saying I have no idea how it works. But I, if I'm honest, I would say, oh, you have little faith. I didn't have a whole lot of faith in healing. Then we have healing services here at Seacoast. I don't know if you, you heard about this, but I mean, it was miraculous. And we're talking tons of people that I know by name that I interact with on a daily basis, miraculous healings. And so since then, I've kind of been like, okay, I never shifted on God can, but now I'm like, oh, God does. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he's, mm -hmm. he still does. But I just, I have, I have no idea, like, why it happens sometimes and why it doesn't happen other times. But 
I I would love to hear your encounter as a teenager. Yeah. And then let's just dive into some theology and yeah. all sorts of talk. Yeah. Um, when you said, you know, I, the, the, there's the formulate, given up on the formulaic, right? I have no idea why I'm like, and if you and if you know if you've cracked the code please right right (laughs) write a book i'll buy it yeah if you have figured out the mystery of god please we're interested um yeah i I did have a pretty incredible encounter so i'm i come i came to faith because of the ministry of jesus culture i was a teenager um lost broken uh, addicted eating disorder had just been through a lot kind of made a wreck of my life did a lot of damage the, the amount of damage I did from from 13 to 16 is incredible it's just because goes to show you what a what a lost teenager in, in the culture and the world can yep. do and so kind of hit a rock bottom moment and um a young girl had out of uh witnessing to me gave me a burned cd <laughs> and it was blank and I didn't know what it was. And uh, one morning I decided to play it just out of, it was just out of sheer curiosity. She, she, I was, happened to be at a church service, another long story. And then she walked up to me and said, God told me to give this to you. And a couple of weeks later, I just was interested in what I told her to give to me, you know, was it a Metallica CD? <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I put it in my CD players, getting ready for your uh, high school one morning and it so was, I got to ask are you like a metal were you a metalhead back then? no I was a punk I was a punk kid okay. it, uh, East Coast <laughs> underground punk rock nice. the most nice. it, it was anti-establishment anarchy anti-government gotcha yeah that's, see that's yes. a good thing I didn't know that beforehand because all I'd want to do is talk music <laughs> <laughs> back to healing <laughs> yeah and so um and so I, I played this CD and um, it began a 45 minute encounter with the tangible presence. That it was just some of the, it was the most miraculous thing I'd ever experienced up until then. Um, I, the, the only way I could describe it was the physical love of God started to overtake my body. I felt heat. And it was, rushing. and it was somebody talking like a teaching. It was, um, it was a mixture of, it was the, that. In 2005, they had pressed record on one of these conferences. So it was a mixture of young people praying. It was a mixture of worship songs and then um, banning preaching on the on the track. But it was so. This is what I already love about this story: is you had no faith in anything spiritual. No, you had no expectations. No, you weren't thinking anything, and then all of a sudden you feel a tangible. I mean that that those kind of things are faith increases for me. Absolutely, it's like you weren't looking for that. Absolutely. Yeah, and um, and it wasn't by anybody famous, right? This is just some unknown group of young people. These, I mean, these were sixteen-year-olds praying on a CD that started to really grip my attention, and then, um, and then basically a call to follow Jesus plays at the end of the CD, and so I'm listening to it, and just heat starts to course through my body, like I feel heat from the top of my head throughout my fingertips. I started to tremble. I'm starting to shake as the presence of God. It's filling me. It's filling me, and it's it's overcoming me. And were you connecting this to God at the time? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. You know, they're mm-hmm. praying out to God, saying, yeah. "God, awaken a generation. God, move in our hearts." They're singing songs about Jesus. I knew who God was. You know, I um, it, we weren't an atheistic family by any means. Even you know, I had been in church here and there. So the the love of God just starts to. I didn't know what was happening at the time, right? But I knew it was God starting to encounter me. Um, and, and I start to shake. I'm feeling heat, and I just start weeping. And I just, it's just you know, when you get in the presence of something holy, it, it's Peter, right? When they catch the fish, he says, "Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man." Yeah. It's like when you experience the holiness and the power of God, 
And same with Isaiah. He's like, I'm unclean. You just kind of, it's the result should be repentance. And I just begin to repent. I just begin to repent of my sin and I'm just weeping and under the power and presence of God. And he's, he just begins to speak to me about my life. And he shows me that, um, the path I'm heading on and what it ends in. And then at the end of this encounter, he says, Becky, if you follow me, I will do more with your life than you ever thought possible. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. I said, okay. And I gave, I, so I, the, the preaching at the end is this call to give God your life. And I don't know what I'm responding to. And I'm, I'm looking at the speakers. I'm like, yes, yes. I give God my life. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I'm saying yes. And I'm like, yes. And I'm, all I know is I'm crying. All I know is I feel different. I feel, I feel addiction leave my body. I feel self-hatred leave my body. Mm-hmm. I've been self-mutilating. So I've been cutting my arms and I had, I was suffering from anorexia and I look in the mirror and for the first time, that since I can remember, you know, I had a very short life at the time, only 16 years old. I look in the mirror and I'm like, I don't know who that person is because I, I'm used to looking in the mirror and hating who I saw. And I'm looking in the mirror and I'm like, I love this person. And, and I'm, look, and I'm weeping. I'm just weeping in the mirror, looking at myself, thinking of how much I love who I see and how much I hated who I was before. And how I thought nothing could ever convince me to love my image. Nothing could ever convince me. Like it was so, it was so anti-Christ what was over me before. Like it, it was this, you know, this self-hatred, hurt yourself, hate yourself. It was so anti-human. Mm-hmm. And so the shift to looking at myself thinking to love, to love oneself and that I'm worth something and that life is worth living. It was very remarkable. You, it sounds like you were finally seeing yourself. Through the Holy Spirit's Absolutely, power. Absolutely, 100%. And, um, and every craving for every substance left me, um, every stronghold of an eating disorder that I had been wrestling with for three years. And when you struggle with an eating disorder that young, it's in such your, it's in such wet cement years. Like it was so strong, you know, it was, a, it was such a stronghold on me. And I, I was in therapy for it. I was on medication and I just could not, I could wow. break free from that. And I, I have my appetite back. I, I don't want to hurt myself. And so it was this 45 minute encounter that left me completely transformed. I was physically transformed. I physically looked different. And I went back to that church and I found the girl. What did you give me? Yeah. Please tell me. That, oh, this is, goes, I don't know. It's this Jesus culture thing. I'm, I'm hearing about this church in Redding, California. How close were you to? Was she a complete stranger? A or? complete stranger. Oh, Jeez, and 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 did, and did she and did she feel like the Holy Spirit told her to give you that? Wow, she had never met me, and I was at the church in the back row, and we became friends through uh, the youth stuff happening at that church. And so I just followed it. I just I I, I was a junior in, uh, in high school at the time. Gave the Lord the, those two years wholeheartedly, and right after I graduated high school, I moved. At 18 years old, packed up our car, and I drove from Indiana to California to Reading and didn't know a single person. My boyfriend followed me. He's now my husband. Yeah. He's our worship pastor at Jesus Culture, Jesus Culture Recording and, Artist. And I'm assuming he was not a Christian at the time, either. Nope. I, I, he was like, what happened to my girlfriend? 100%. He's like, well, what happened to you? I said, you have to listen to this. I give him the CD. And he's like, this is amazing. Can I hear us? You can give it to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so, yeah, it's kind of, that's what got us there. So we went to Reading, went to the school of ministry there, and then just kept looking for Jesus culture and found it and interned and then never left. And now I'm the executive pastor. Yeah. Yeah. See, I kind of, I kind of walk in the constant tension of Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. And I'm like, (laughs) 
Thank you, Lord. It's morning. <laughs> Lady, I mean, that's a beautiful story. It's, Good God. Every time I tell it, people are like, wait, wait, wait. I'm like, I know. I know. And now, now the, the very ministry that changed my life, you know, 17 years ago, I'm, I'm the executive pastor of that church. Is that, and so now I serve the man who's preaching, you know, led me to eternity. Yeah. I listen when he was preaching. I know there's a track at the end of the CD and it's just him giving this kind of response to the youth to follow God. I could tell you every single word. I would just listen to it on repeat. And, in, you know, I, I was wrestling with anxiety and depression. And, you know, you have a journey after you leave that lifestyle. You have a journey of walking it out. And I would play just the preaching at night. I'd play it on repeat. And I could tell you every single word. The, and I didn't know what he looked like. This is There's no Instagram, YouTube's not a thing. Bethel's not online. I applied to the school by calling the office and they sent me an, and they sent me an application. Wow. application. There, you know, now there's 3000 students in the school. There was 250 when I went. And so I know, like I knew his voice. And when I went to Bethel and, and I, I saw him and he began preaching, I was like, that's the voice. I told the Lord, I'll, I'll follow. I want to follow that vision. Like there's something, there's an anointing on that man's life that I want to be a part of. And now he's my spiritual father. I met him when I was 21. He, he and his wife took me and my husband in, discipled us, just uh, adopted us, and we've been running with them for 12 years. Right. I just out of curiosity, did did your husband or your boyfriend at the time experience this, the same sort of supernatural interaction with that CD? Yeah, probably in his in his own way. Right. You know, his, it wasn't an encounter as such the way that I sure. had it, but he was a musician, a secular musician, um, you know, wasn't interested in playing for the church. And what he said after he listened, he said, that's the first time I've heard non-cheesy Christian music. Yeah. <laughs> like we were like, I'm sorry. And I know this is going to probably offend a lot of people, but like, I couldn't stand Toby Mac and DC talk and right. like uh, Carmen. I'm like, guys, this is so cheesy. How could you not like Carmen? <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. Right. Like, and, I, and, I, and so this was the music. God rest his soul. Did like, you know he passed away? <laughs> I do not speak ill of the dead. <laughs> but like when we were, we were like music aficionados, kind of like audiophiles, you know? And so we're listening to this like music coming out of the church. We're like, oh gosh, this is, this ain't it. You know, like we're not homeschool Christian kids. We were longing for something that sounded different. And that's what this was for us. And it really, I mean, if you look back that kind of, those albums really started to change the way modern, I mean, it gave birth to, I think the modern worship yeah. sound really. Yeah. And there was an underground scene that you, yes. you, know, you guys didn't find. I, I guess. needed to get, I needed yeah, to get part of that. yeah. Because that, well, it, my brother and I had to go to work with the underground scene because my parents, uh, after I was in the third grade, they're like, no more secular music, no more radio. So we're like, oh my gosh, we got to find. And uh, at the time, Striper was kind of our savior. <laughs> we're like, yes, metal, all right, hair band. Lynn, where I'm curious, where are you at in faith and miracles, and how did the miracle services season that we went through? And I, yeah, and I say we went through it, but it changed our culture for right. good too. But yeah. like, what's what's been kind of your snapshot there? Yeah, so I I grew up, and even I grew up in church, but I was not a believer. So a cult, like culturally, I would say that I was a Christian, but I really wasn't. But the church that I grew up in was very legalistic. It was like borderline cult, <gasps> but it was there was no mention of Holy Spirit. And so growing up, you went, you sat there, you listened, but there was never any talk of like miracles or anything like that. And did they believe in like a born again experience? Like you accept Jesus and the You know, I don't remember ever hearing that. Yeah. In fact, when I I was baptized when I was a teenager and it was only because I didn't want to go to hell. <laughs> so like like that was I remember meeting with my pastor and making and I remember saying that and him not 
like it not yes <laughs> saying what hey, like hell. What do I do? yeah i was like well i you know i believed god existed but that was like it was that 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 extent i was like well i believe that god exists and i don't you know i don't want to go to hell and so i want to be baptized and he's like all right and so that's what that's what happened and then in 2008 my brother went into the sickle cell crisis um and he was um he went into cardiac arrest and um was resuscitated and I remember when um, the doctor told us it wasn't a matter of if, but when he was going to pass. And that was the first time I remembered like praying outside of a meal. Wow. And so at that point, I still wasn't walking with the Lord, but I was asking him to save my brother. And when we made the decision to take him off life support, I'd ask the nurse, like, is he in pain? Or are you going to give him medication? And they'd started a morphine drip because she said that his body is shutting down. He is likely in pain. And my dad didn't want him to have morphine because he was like, well, if God's going to, I don't want him, I want him to be able to move. So if God heals him, like he's not trapped um, in his body. And I remember like looking at my dad and saying, if God's going to heal him, then it doesn't matter whether there's morphine. And so that was like the first, even though I wasn't walking with the Lord, I can't say I had a relationship with Jesus. That was the first time that I like, Healing made sense in in the sense of like, if God's going to do something beyond what we can imagine, like nothing is going to stop it. And so I like said that and my dad's like, you're right. And so we like gave him the morphine, but he wasn't healed on this side. And so after, after my brother, like at that point, I wasn't going to church and I didn't for a long time until I found Seacoast. But when I came to church, I was still very much in that experience that I grew up in. And so like I would go to church and people were raising their hands and I'm like, what are those people doing? And like, you know, they didn't have formulaic prayers like my parents do. And so it was like, it was very, it was weird to me, but I started having friends who, um, invited me into spaces that I didn't like things were going on that I didn't understand and made me uncomfortable. But at the same time, I didn't want to leave. Like I was just like, something's happening and I'm just leaning into it. Um, And so during those miracle services, I remember the first one I was sitting in the balcony because there, for as staff, we were giving, you know, the, we, there were no seats. And so I was up in the balcony and I remember just like, my like my armpits were sweating and I like had this like nervous feeling and I I was uncomfortable because I was like what is going on and it wasn't (laughs) scripted right and I was like I've never seen anything like this in my life but I was like leaning like I wanted it and so I, I guess my like my experience or like how I can describe it is that there's just this there was an openness and a hunger there even though it wasn't something that I had like experienced in my life. So I came in with no expectations of what it could be. Um, But that has kind of marked the past 11, 12 years of my life of, I don't know what to expect, but I'm like, this is a little bit uncomfortable, but I don't want to leave. And I just want to see what's going to happen. Beautiful. It is indeed. All right. Well, let's, let's dive into some theological, uh, I'll call it pondering. Maybe you guys have the answers. I'm going to ponder. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Why don't miracles happen more in the church? Either one of y'all, like what, why do y'all think yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm not <laughs> and I know y'all don't know, but like, is there, you know, I've heard, I've heard this before. I've heard in more developing countries, there's more miracles because the gospel message is newer. And if you look back in the Bible, 
miracles really spiked when a new movement need to start. So you look at Moses and then you look at Jesus. I mean, obviously the miracles, it's like, whoa, something special about that guy. Mm -hmm. And he rose from the dead. And then to get the message out, miracles left. I mean, was it Peter's shadow, Paul's shadow, one of their shadows? Yeah. I mean, it's just like, oh my gosh, I can really get on board with that. Not saying that miracles aren't going to happen in this day and age. We saw it at Seacoast and you've seen tons of stuff, experienced it in your life, but it seems like maybe like this universal miracles all over the place. Maybe there's a function to like spread something. Yeah. I've never heard that before. That's an intriguing concept. I do think, you know, my first thought, again, I'm not a theologian on healing by any means um, or a theologian. So let's just say that. Uh, <laughs> but I think, you know, my first thought is why aren't there more miracles in the church? Well, I know that a lot of the church isn't asking for them mm -hmm. or believing in them. So, yeah. so you can't have what you don't ask for. And I mean, Jesus said something like that, right? Yeah. Because you haven't asked them. And so I think um, that probably, I mean, it has to play a role in it. First of all, I don't know what the percentage is, but you've got a, a majority of the I say the Western church that doesn't believe right. healing is for today. Well, there you go. Then. Did you say majority? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and so, um, I, so I think that that has to probably play into it. And you know, where you do know that miracles, um, you, the only thing that you see stop Jesus from operating in the supernatural is unbelief. Mm -hmm. Right. So he goes to, he can't go to Nazareth and he can't, he can, it said he could only heal a few. Because of the unbelief. And so if you have unbelief prevalent in a geographic location or in a region of people, you're right there yeah. publicly. That's yeah. going to stop. Well, I, I even think about even when you say like other countries, it, tra having traveled to Togo, West Africa, I feel like in the West, there's this, um, I don't know what the right word is. There's this like numbing or distraction from the supernatural, right? Like people crave it because it's an entertainment, right? Every movie, TV show, you see supernatural themes, um, but people leave it in entertainment. They don't believe that it's everyday life. But when you go to another country, people believe in the supernatural, right? It's not entertainment. It's not fictional. It's they believe in it, but they're they they're interacting with the dark side yeah. of the supernatural. And so them being more open to what Christ is going to do of Holy Spirit stepping in, I think it's an easier leap because they're already interacting with the supernatural. Whereas I feel like even around my friends and like the culture that I grew up in, like supernatural fiction. Um, and so it's hard, like it's, yeah. it's harder. It's like this numbing, like the, the tactic of the enemy here is that like, oh, supernatural's not real. Right. And so it's harder to get over that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I have a, you guys are going to be like, Joey, why are you trying so hard not to believe? <laughs> <laughs> but I have an interesting theory. Well, it's, I, I, I read it in some seminary course and I mean, you can go so many different directions with scripture. So when I hear Jesus couldn't, I think those two statements don't even make sense. So Jesus couldn't, but that's what it says. I'm not arguing with you. That's what it, it actually says. But I've heard it put this way and it resonates a little bit more with me, but it's definitely not the general train of thought. But it's kind of like if my son is being a brat and I keep telling him you need to stop doing such and such and then he doesn't obey me, doesn't stop being a brat. And then he's just like, oh, can you take me out for ice cream? And I'm like, I can't do that. Uh, why Why would I do that? Like you're, you've been a brat and I've been asking you to stop. I'm not going to go take you for, for ice cream. And I've heard that 
there are certain places if Jesus goes in to, and there is no faith, mm-hmm. it's like a circus act. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm not, I can't do miracles here. Like, I'm not going to be some entertainment. You're not connecting with me in any sort of faith manner at all, but that's just a, yeah, yeah throwing that out there. How's that when the, you know, when the centurion's daughter is da- dead and he goes and there's people mourning in the room. He makes them leave. He makes the unbelief leave so he can raise her from the dead. You know, it's like, you gotta, you have to clear some stuff out. And I think you have to set, you know, there is an environment for the supernatural work, you know, God, God's yeah. sovereign. He can do whatever he wants, but we do see some biblical examples yeah. of some precursors. Yeah. You know? that, I, I would love to hear more of that. Like what, what are some things that you have learned in, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a school, right. Of supernatural stuff. I would assume that people who have gone through that feel more equipped or maybe they are more equipped. Like, like what would, what would you, how would you speak on that? Like after someone learns certain things, what are some of those things they learn and are they better equipped to pray for people? Yeah. So I went to a school called, yeah, it's called the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, which was fun coming from the Midwest. People thought I was going to a witch school. <laughs> so they're like, it's like Hogwarts. You know, Hogwarts was like, you know, like no, it's not, I hope not. Who was that? Some of your family? Yeah. Like, it's like a wizardry school. You should have showed up at Christmas with a big witch yeah, hat. Yeah, I should have. Like, I, I don't think that's what it is, but I, yeah, I, again, I was like, I hope not. Um, like, can't tell because there's no internet. Yeah. Put a broom on your Christmas list. The Nimbus. Um, so I, you know, does going to Bethel make me more equipped? I, I don't believe so. But I do think there's something about being saturated in an environment where mm. it's normal. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, and so I think, it, again, if like, if I practice basketball every day, am I going to be able to shoot a free throw better than somebody who doesn't? Probably, you know, but not by any qualification. I think it's just by sheer exposure and saturation. And so there is something, you know, Bethel is a very special place and that is an environment that it's just normal. Yep. What it's just that our, you know, it's what you do. You pray for healing. You believe for healing. There's not the the wrestle as much as there is in other places, mm-hmm. and it's a concentrated group of people that all come for that same thing. So I think there's something about that kind of unity and accord. So we're all here for that. We're all here to experience the supernatural power of God and to be trained in how. Yeah, how do, how do you operate in that? How do you make that a, a normal lifestyle? So. I think there is something to that, that it's a bit probably more of the norm for me because right. of being in that environment for seven years. Right. For sure. Yeah. How has your saturation in that environment affected your family? And like when you came back to the Midwest or like all of the people that you knew before that experience? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I don't have a lot of connection with those people before, you know, your life changes. People go different ways. My family has definitely seen... Um, you know, it's a witness to my family, I think, uh, greatly to see someone, you know, their their daughter or sister become so incredibly different. You know, I was just a walking miracle and testament to the power of God because of where I was versus where I am now. And so I think it's a witness to them for sure. Um yeah, like regardless of what you believe, they absolutely. have to yeah, there's at a, least say that's changed for the better. Absolutely. So yeah. just kind of that undeniable. And I think it's definitely um I think it's brought some of them definitely closer to the Lord or made them more curious. I mean, yeah. So they talk about they, I just call, I refer to the Bible as they, so, you know, they, the Bible, but it's the, the gift of healing. Some people have, I, I think a gift of healing. And we talked to 
I've talked to him a couple of times. I can't remember the guy's name. Who's the guy that kind of spearheaded the healing services? Um, Joshua Silverberg. Yeah, Josh oh, Silverberg. Gosh. Yeah. And so I really appreciated his uh, candor in this in this question. And I, I basically asked him, I was like, look, I know what you're about. You're not about yourself. You're about God. But do you acknowledge that you have something that either other people don't have or other people don't know how to access? Like, is there is there something different about you? Because I... I don't know if I've ever prayed over anyone and seen the supernatural healing. I don't, I don't say that in a belittling way to myself or anything. And I really appreciate the fact that he said back in the day, he would have answered that question. Of course not. There's nothing different. And I think as the years have gone by and, and walking with the Holy Spirit, I think he's accepted the fact that, okay, there's, there's something there. And I don't know if that's like a, just a deeper amount of faith or saturated in the culture, but seems as if he has something special, yeah. like a, a special gift. Like, do you think some people have a, a gift of healing that those people may see more healings as a result of their prayers where somebody doesn't have the gift and maybe doesn't even have a, the gift of great faith? Mm-hmm. God can certainly work through a mustard seed. Mm-hmm. But do you think there are people who God works through more because they have a gift? Yeah, it's interesting that I thought about that question. So, you know, the gift of miracles is listed in 1 Corinthians 12 as a gift, right? So like the gift of healing or the gift of working of miracles. So I'm like, okay, it's there. Um, But it also says the gift of prophecy. And then you have to measure scripture against scripture, right? It also says that everyone may prophesy. So is it a gift? Yes. But can everyone do it? Yes. And I think the same with healing. Is there a gift of healing? Yes, I think probably there are people who are who are who walk more in manifested healings for whatever reason. You know, I don't know all the I don't know all the reasons why God gives people or what necessarily, you know, there's not there's not any scripture on that. But I do know that could we all like, you know, what I say, unless you have the gift of healing, you can't pray for the sick. Absolutely not. Because Jesus told us that you, you know, this is the great commission. And he says, this is what you're, you're recognized by what you do. Like these signs and wonders will follow you. He said, you'll do greater things than me. And so I do believe we all can heal through the power of the Holy Spirit. We all are to pray for the sick and for them to be healed. Same way I believe we are all should prophesy. All of us, every single one of us. That's in the Bible. We all may prophesy. But then is there a gift of prophecy? Yes. Is there a gift of healing? According to the spiritual gifts listed, yes, there is for sure. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Have you ever approached someone who you either know very little or a complete stranger and God's like, I want you to pray for their healing. And you kind of had to make that awkward ask of, I'd really like to pray for your healing. Like, have you ever? Yeah. I mean, that's what the school of ministry is. That's what Bethel is. It's pretty much that on on a daily basis, challenging you to pray for people. Like if you saw someone who is obviously locked to their wheelchair yeah. in a grocery store, mm-hmm. like by default, would you wait for that person to go out in the parking lot and ask if you can pray for them? Or is it like a uh, God asked me to do it this time, so I'll do it? Uh the the goal is that by default, as a follower of Jesus, that you would, yeah. right? That you would look at the sick and the the oppressed and you you'd say, can I pray for you? Yeah. I, you know, I want to be there. I wish I was, but it was, it's definitely a journey of learning to step out in that and to have the faith for that and to have the boldness for that. So I have before, absolutely. And it's so difficult oh, yeah. and awkward and humbling and scary, you know? Yeah. So what John Wimber said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Mm. You know, it's just like, you have to take that risk. So 
uh, gosh, I hope one day to be to the point where I would just, that's what I do. Yeah, I had a crazy situation with my grandfather. So he was Catholic his whole life. And along the way, somewhere, he would say, I watched the Billy Graham crusade and said the sinner's prayer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I, I believe the Holy Spirit's living inside of him. And at the same time, he struggled with racism. He struggled with belittling his wife. You know, he was a, a wrong guy. Mm -hmm. And when he was on his dying bed, and I knew this may be the, one of the last times I'd see him, I went with my dad and it was so crazy because there was everything inside of me said, you need to just tell your grandpa the gospel. You just need to tell him that. And I was like, He's already watched Billy Graham. Well, so I add to that. And I was like, he's he's dying. I just want to hang out with my grandpa. And I was kind of worried that he would maybe kind of like be like, what, what are you doing right now? And I could not say anything. I don't mean to like in some miraculous way, God like had my mouth shut, but I just, I felt so compelled to do this. I was like, if I talk about anything else, I'm going to, I'm going to feel like I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. And then it hit me. I was like, if I leave this room and I get into the car, I am never going to forget this moment of how yeah. strong this was. And uh, so I, I personally don't think that this was necessarily when my grandpa got saved, but I was obedient and I told grandpa, I said, you know, grandpa, I've, I've heard you say things before, like, I hope the good Lord has mercy on my soul and those sorts of things. I said, yeah, you know, I, I just want to make sure you know that you can know that. And, uh, you know, he, he couldn't interact a whole lot, you know, verbally, but he was making eye contact and everything. And so I said, I'm, yeah, I explained to him the gospel and I said, I'm just going to pray for you. I'm going to hold your hand and, uh, as much as you can repeat after me, but just at least in your head. And I was just like, squeeze my hand if that's okay. And he squeezed my hand. Mm -hmm. And my dad told me that that was the first time in like two or three weeks that he heard my grandpa talk so articulately. It was wow. like he started to, to talk and it was, it was so funny. So my, my grandma is Bible believing Baptist, like totally a Christian. And after that, after my grandpa and I walked through that, my grandma wasn't there at the time. He's like, you make sure you go do this with your grandma. Like it, and like I said, I don't think it was a salvation moment, but it was a moment of he had complete peace. It was just like something happened in that, in that moment. But I, I, I was like, uh, grandpa, grandma's fine. Like, <laughs> That's awesome. She needs this. She really right, needs it. Right. You know, I've had that, those moments of regret where you know the Lord told you to do something and you don't need many of those to compel yeah. you to never want them again. Right. You know, and I could, st I still remember some of the moments that I disobeyed that I didn't, that I let fear of man, that I let my own pride stand in the way of me doing what God has asked me to do. And that is not a fun feeling. Yeah. <laughs> and so you get a couple, you get a, you get a one or two of those yeah. and, and you won't, you won't do it anymore. <laughs> you know that again. Yeah. yeah. What are, give us one or two examples of pretty crazy healing you've been a part of. Yeah. Um, we went to Brazil on a missions trip with uh, a healing evangelist named Randy Clark, who's pretty, pretty globally known for that. And Bill Johnson. And we went as teenagers. We were, it was our senior year in high school. So we were young. Again, after this one encounter, we'd really gone all, all in for Jesus. So I was 17 years old and we went to- You're like a Christian punk rocker now? No, I had left the punk rock. I, I was like, there was no good Christian punk that I could find. <laughs> I really had what year was this? It's 2007. Oh, come on. MXPX? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, MXPX. We're like, okay. They're like, listen to this. I'm like, okay. It's a little soft for me. <laughs> 
I, I could give you a bunch of awesome punk bands around that time. 90 Pound Wuss, have you heard of them? Oh, no. All right. That's amazing. And so, um, yeah, so we went to Brazil and we were doing some outreach in some of the churches that in the kind of the poorer parts. And there was this gal that had young gal had come in and her foot was uh, all casted up. And this is what we were there for. We were there to pray for, for people to get out of wheelchair. She was in a wheelchair. Her foot was casted. We said what was wrong. And through the interpreter, they told us she had ripped her Achilles tendon. It was in half. It was severed. And, you know, you can't walk if your Achilles tendon is ripped in half. And so there was a group of us, uh, my husband, now my husband, boyfriend at the time, Derek and myself and a couple of others, we surrounded her and we prayed for her. And our group thinking, there's just no way. <laughs> there's just no way, you know, like this is, the, and I love that we're praying, but there's no way. But I'm doing the thing because we're there to do it. And so we're praying and we pray for a couple of times and they kind of taught you a model of praying for healing. You know, you don't just pray once, you pray again. And and you pray for a hundred percent healing. You know, some people are like, oh, it's it's a little better. Okay, well, let's pray that it would go all the way better. And so she said she was starting to feel something and she's getting very emotional. And we're like, what's wrong? Is it hurting? You know, everyone's kind of pressing on her. She's like, no, I feel like I have to take this wrap off. Uh-huh. It's really hot. She's like, it's it's like getting really hot. So she's starting to feel fire where that area is. And so she takes her wrap off and you can feel like the back of her heel is like mush. It's like all, oh, it was, you know. And so we prayed for it and we felt to lift our hands and saw with our eyes that tendon come back mm. and she's screaming she's screaming fire of god he 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 and she jumps out of her wheelchair and she is jumping up and down oh my god it was pretty crazy <laughs> it, awesome. was, it was it was and awesome. i mean we're 17 years old <laughs> <laughs> you, you had to feel pretty empowered it was like at, yeah. at that age yeah. you know the whole it's all god there mm-hmm. could have been parties like oh, i got it you know. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Tell us one more. Or do you have something you want to say? Like? Oh, I was going to say, what is life like when you experience that? And then you go, like, have you had an experience where, like, you saw that, you felt it, you knew what God had done, and then you go into life where you don't see it? Like, yeah. how do you, what, like, how do you balance that tension or that just like knowing he's there, knowing he can and will? but feeling dry and arid seasons. Yeah. It just, you know, it makes you really, it makes you humble. You know, I just think it takes in it and it really makes you go, I either believe the Bible or I don't because the Bible says you have peace that passes understanding. Like it's like, and his ways are higher than my ways. You really have to let your ego and your right to understand. Like you have to surrender for me as like, I have to surrender. I am a pretty, I'm a type A logical, rational person. I want to get to everything through ration, through rationale and logic. And that doesn't work. I'm just, that doesn't, like that, that way gets confronted if with true Christianity. So I'm like, God says, well, you have to surrender your right to understand mm-hmm. and to make sense of things. And there are, there's mystery. You have to be okay with the mystery. You gotta of be God. a child to. Absolutely. And, and there are just some things that we're not going to know this side of heaven. And so that why and how does it work and why does it work all the time? And what about this? So I just got to know you're real. I've seen what you can do and it's not, and you don't owe me an explanation. And you and I, I'm not owed understanding. Like God doesn't owe me the fact that I will understand everything. Mm-hmm. And so you have. So that's what where the humility comes in. Where I go, man, I I'm so small and, and finite to a large and infinite God. And so I think those moments where you see those miracles, it's marking and it and it makes it, it gives you a, a a line in the sand for me. Where I'm like, I'm not going to go backwards. I'm not going to not believe because I've seen it. And so I've seen it now, why I feel dry in this area, why I feel like God's silent, why I'm not seeing him move in this area. I don't know. 
And I can either obsess over understanding why and trying to make sense of it, or but this is going to lead to entitlement and arrogance. Mm. It's just surrender, you know, and humility. Like, Lord, I don't know, but I know what you can do. And you're who you are. And I and I have faith. But it makes it just more undeniable, you know. I mean, it gave, it gave me more peace in those seasons rather than, you know, anxiety. I'm like, gosh, I've seen you. And it just, it does, it makes that, it makes that faith so unmistakable. Like, I can't, I can't unsee that. I can't unsee that. And so whatever, you know, whatever lack, I know the lack is not on God's part, right? Whatever lack in area or silence in area, it's not because of God. Right. It's not because he's not enough. It's not because he's not willing. It's not because there's something else going on. So now, now when you say something else going on, do you, is that something that you personally own? Like there's something going on in my shortcomings? I don't know. Yeah, just... Yeah. yeah. I just know that his ways are higher. Yeah. Higher to ways. ascribe the lack on God was like, oh, well, sure. you know, it's just, I think that's where people get into trouble. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, I'm like, oh, that's, that's, that's not biblical. Yeah. And, you know, God is able. Yeah. He, all things are possible. So the lack is not in his name. Therefore, search me and yeah. know me. Do I have prevailing faith? Am I, you know, am I persistent? Am I right with God? Am I and all those things? And then you just kind of process the elimination at the end of the day. It's sovereign. Oh. Yeah. All right. Two more questions, but I'm going to let you pick one. Sure, sure. All right. <laughs> so one question that I wanted to ask is, do you think it's a cop-out to stamp at the end of your prayer, if it's your will? Lord, I pray for this person's healing, if it's your will. Or you can answer, is there ever a necessity to have long and abiding prayers? Like we we would call it praying through. Like, mm-hmm. now nah, you, you better pray for eight hours until God speaks. <laughs> yeah. You pick. Um, okay. We'll talk about if it's your will, because I think that's something that a lot of people love to, to say. You, um, and the notes, you'd put a, a Bible, a reference. Yeah. That yeah. And that's, that's one of my favorite passages too, for me is, I'll just read it. Cause I just think it's beautiful. It says that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. So he just they just said he will, but then, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. To me, that that feels better. It's like <laughs> these three guys are saying God will, but I think as a human, they have to say, we're not God. So we can't tell God what to do. So if he doesn't, we're still not going to worship. Yeah, we're still yeah. not going to do what he wants to do. And I love that. So again, that and that verse is so great. It's so powerful and such, you know, and applicable in many ways. I wouldn't take my healing theology from that. Yes. Yeah. Don't y'all just love so. how I said that it makes me more, com- I'm more comfortable <laughs> with this. <laughs> Y'all like, that's the point, Joey. (laughs) And so I think we say, if it's your will, because we want to pad ourselves from disappointment. Mm -hmm. And this is what you have to be careful. You can't build your theology on your experience. And I think we have a lot of experiential theology. You're not saying that out of any scriptural basis. Mm -hmm. You're saying that because that's what you've experienced. And we want a theology that fits our experience rather than a theology, theology that challenges our experience. And so if it's your will, Jesus answered that question many times over. Lord, if you're willing, make me clean. He said, I am willing. Like, it's just God's will is was manifest through Jesus Christ. We have no other theology for heal, right? Except for through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is perfect theology. So we look at Jesus and did he ever not heal? No. Was there anybody who said, this sickness, I'm not willing. 
I'm not willing to cleanse this leper. I'm not willing to touch this body. I'm not willing to make you well. Never. That's been recorded for us. And so if the, if Jesus is perfect theology and he was doing the will of his father, he healed every single person who came. So I think it is God's will to heal. I think it is his will. I don't think that it's ever against his will to heal. Yeah. Whether or not we see it, that's the mystery. That's what I don't know. But to, to question his will is where, for me, you just have to f- just show me in scripture where God's will is to keep you sick. Right. Where God's will is to keep you oppressed um, or to keep you afflicted. And so, I mean, this is, you know, Jesus, it's, you know, he was by his stripes, we are healed. He bore our disease, sickness, and iniquity. It doesn't say except for a few, <laughs> you know, so, so that's, that for me, I don't, I, a cop out, I think, you know, we're human and I think it's well-intentioned, but when, if you can settle the issue, is it God's will? Absolutely. And I think that's what makes, uh, again, Bethel School such a great place is that it's a place where his will is settled. His will is settled for us. His will is to heal you. So there's just no question there. Like, oh, does God want to heal this person with cancer? I don't know. We'll have to consult and see if it's God's will. Right. And because, you know, biblically, again, in, in my study of scripture, I don't see any will of God to keep you sick. Yeah. And I, I used to would push back on that with this example, and I don't think it's good pushback anymore. But the fact that Jesus used those exact words, but it wasn't healing. He, I, and I hear when I hear Jesus say, Lord, if you can take this cup away from me, like if it's your will to take that, I hear that as like a son just talking to his father. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think Jesus knew he had to do what mm-hmm. he had to do, mm-hmm. but I see that as more of a relational thing. It's just mm-hmm. like, I'm, I'm so scared. Yeah. Like this that pain's going to be so hard. Lord, if you get any other way, yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, this has been great. So I'll have to uh, burn you an old school <laughs> Christian punk CD. Yeah, like a, a mix, you know, like a mixtape. Mixtapes mix became those mixed CDs, those compilations. I love the fact that I'm living in an era where I can say that I made my now wife, when she was my girlfriend, a mixtape. Oh, absolutely. And I put my heart and soul oh, yeah. in it, you know? And, and like, if she were to ever like mention, if I were to mention a band and she'd be like, oh, I've never heard of them, I'm like, I put it on the mixtape. <laughs> you don't know every single band I put. It dates ourselves. That's okay. At the same time. No, guys, you are awesome. Very cool. That was fun. You've been listening to the things you won't hear on Sunday Seacoast podcast. In the show notes, you'll see a link to our Facebook group page. Also, we'd love for you to consider subscribing so you get these episodes downloaded right when they come out. Thanks so much for listening.